Hello, I'm Naor Meninger. I'm Ethan Weinstein. And this is Two Nice Jewish Boys. Today, here in Israel, is Yom HaShoah, the National Holocaust Memorial Day. It's hard to imagine the suffering, the agony, the hopelessness endured by the millions. It's hard to imagine a world in which such atrocities are even possible. I often take my life for granted, my liberties, my comforts, my loved ones. I think we all do for the most part. Who wants to imagine persecution and genocide? Who wants to ruminate on death and destruction? Nevertheless, it is important to remember. But why? Even if memory is a task or a duty, it is one that we should answer to. Because if we do not remember, we cannot value the things that we have, and we are bound to lose them. Yom HaShoah, Israel's Holocaust Memorial Day, institutionalizes this idea. Don't forget, lest it repeat itself. We commemorate the dead to preserve the living, because we cherish life. Life, not death. The most important part of preventing the crimes of history from repeating themselves is learning from them, studying the past and comparing it to the present. This is exactly what Professor Dina Porad does at the Cantor Center for the Study of Contemporary European Jewelry. Every year, on the eve of Yom HaShoah, the Cantor Center at Tel Aviv University publishes its report on anti-Semitism. Professor Porat is the chief historian of Yad Vashem, Israel's National Holocaust Museum, and she joins us today for a special episode on anti-Semitism and Yom HaShoah. Hello, Professor Porat. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I want to start by asking you, how should mm. the Holocaust be remembered? Mm. Well, that's a difficult question. Um, uh, I would say, uh, I, I would go in two ways. One is um, looking back at the past, which means that it should be remembered as it was. That studying it and looking at it and reading about it and uh, doing research on it all lead us to look at uh, the Holocaust and remember it as it was. Which means there are many attempts, as you know today, to portray it other than it was. Uh, and the answer to these attempts to portray uh, the Holocaust as uh, uh, less, much less in, uh, in scope or as uh, very comparable to other minor, more minor uh, disasters and atrocities that should be all taken into consideration, no doubt, but they are not. Uh, um, can cannot be uh, really compared, or saying that um, not just Holocaust denial, but flattening it by saying that it is one on a scale, a long scale of genocides that have happened since humanity came on this uh, to be on this planet. So the the answer to all these attempts is to study the Holocaust as it was. And it is also for us, for us as Jews, for us as uh, human beings, to study such a, an extreme, and a, Professor Bauer always says unprecedented, I would say unique event, um, as it was in order to know how it came into being and what happened. Okay? Yes. There is also one more way which does not concern the past, it more concerns the future. The, the present and the future. And this is to look at the Holocaust and to remember it as an event 
that can serve as a cornerstone from which you can go out and look at democracy today, uh, minorities' rights today, education of youngsters today, uh, understanding of how ideologies can sweep millions, how leadership works, how a leader can sweep a leadership and the leadership of the society. Um, to look at uh, all these and understand understand what happened so that you teach not simply just against it, lest it, it be repeated, but that you can identify the signs. You mm -hmm. can identify the signs um, for what is the preceding steps before such a thing happens. Would we... Sorry. So, so how do we... No, it's okay. How do we uh, identify the signs? How do we... By really... knowing what happened before. Okay. By knowing what happened before. When you know mm -hmm. that it begins when human rights are curtailed. curtailed. Mm -hmm. uh, when you know that there is... Uh, that the regime starts uh, uh, by having only one party. Okay? And only... And putting... Um, putting all other parties out of the political game. Mm -hmm. um, uh, by uh, suppressing other opinions and instilling just one opinion, etc., etc., you identify the signs. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, this we have seen already. Yeah. We should stop here. Mm -hmm. And we should let others know what are the signs. We should teach others as much as we can. What are the signs and where should you stop? Well, but could we see it, you think? Are we yes. capable of, of, of seeing it now if, if the events occur in front of our eyes? Will we be able, you think, to mm -hmm. notice? Yes. In the, in, the, in the day of the test, you know? <laughs> before the day of the test before. comes. Before. Yeah, what I'm, definitely. Every once in a while here in Israel... There are critics of uh, the present government or the, the present, uh, some uh, steps of the present government, and they say, Oi, Gewald, it reminds me of uh, Germany during the 30s. Yes. What? On my Facebook page, every day someone says that. Uh, exactly. Um, I'm not in Facebook. Okay. And not in any other of uh, okay. these. But, um, for instance, Aleph Bet Yoshua. Yes. The very known and famous mm -hmm. and uh, beloved Israeli author. Author. Okay. He said, we should look not, I'm not comparing to, God forbid, Germany of the 40s. I'm comparing to the 30s, mm -hmm. okay, to the 30s when the science started. And I want to alarm, to alarm all of you to look at the signs who he got scolded from all over. Right. But, but as you said, others say that as well, as well. You should look at the signs before and anything So are you happens. saying that Aleph Bet Yoshua warned in the 30s that these signs no, are... No, he now, warned, now, now. He's warned now. No, no. Okay. That he warned now okay. about what is happening now. It reminds him it of... It reminded him of what happened in the I 30s. See. And um, I want to know, because... A lot of people say that today in this world that we live in with social media and with, you know, globalization and everybody can see everything that's happening mm. everywhere, that something like that could not happen in, in the world we live in today. And I wonder mm. if you think that that's true, if something that like the Internet, like technology could keep us away from another atrocity like this, 
or as we see in Syria, where you know the world is very comfortable turning a blind eye. It is happening. Yeah. It is happening. You see, 600,000 uh, people being killed, a large percentage of them citizens, women, children. So you do see... Me, uh, of course. What I'm saying is that not only should you see the signs, but we should, if possible, strengthen the international tools that have been established following World War II. Following World War II, which was such a disaster, All over the globe, all over the globe, some 55 to 60 million people were killed in all fronts, both citizens, soldiers, etc. It's an enormous number. In a conventional war, you have to generally, for each one who was killed, some three wounded or maimed. So imagine uh, some 150 million. Yeah, it's unimaginable. unimaginable. It's unimaginable in these numbers. So... <clears throat> After World War II, after such a disaster, the UN comes into being. It was founded before, but it comes into action, let's say. And it has a certain line of conventions. Conventions against genocide, convention about the refugees, a, a international human rights declaration, etc., etc. And in order to build tools, legal tools and practical tools, like... A, military power that the UN has and can controls and can send it here and there so that such disasters be prevented. No, but look at what happened since World War II. You had Cambodia and you had Rwanda and you had South Sudan and now you have Nigeria and, and you Syria. have Syria and you had Kosovo and the Balkan Wars. Mm -hmm. so, so the tools don't work. The tools don't work. They are not so history enough. maybe history will repeat itself then maybe history never really repeats itself okay. it's always another <laughs> a, a variation a, a variation another event but you are right in saying or in asking okay all these uh, technology that brings the events into your home mm -hmm. you cannot say I didn't know during World War you could say I didn't know even if you knew I didn't know because uh, uh, Germany invaded uh, the Soviet Union, the army went first, was marching first, then the SS, then the Einsatzgruppens, etc. But there was no journalist and no radio and no nothing to report on it. And it took months until information leaked out. Mm -hmm. Today, <laughs> today, every Israeli soldier is reporting to his mama uh, on, on his cell phone in real time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're in Gaza right now, and uh, tomorrow uh, yeah. we're going to this neighborhood. But it then, seems like people are comfortable to live with it, to, to just look on, and, and, and you know, they're immune this, to it. Yeah, this, uh, this has not changed. The, the feeling that it is urgent to, uh, to, you, to stand up and to unite and to ask authorities for action... I'm not sure that has changed. Even a few weeks ago, there was the whole, uh, there was a huge thing on Facebook when Aleppo was under siege and there was, and there were With the chemical told, attack. Yeah. No, before that, mm -hmm. there was when, when he fought, when the, when it was, the city was actually besieged and right. they were about to conquer the city finally, people were posting pleas on Facebook. Syrians were posting yeah, pleas on Facebook. Yeah, do something to the world. Do something. And, you know, the, I, my Facebook feed, 
was totally full with it. Meaning, uh, I think every third story, but, but basically what it is is when you scroll through, the th every three things you see, one of them was a video from Syria. And nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, what I'm saying is that... Uh, Despite the fact that uh, the, these, all these new technologies mm -hmm. bring events to you in a minute, mm -hmm. and you could have supposed that this is a way to prevent, because you know, yeah, okay, and then you didn't know. And this is a huge difference between knowing and not knowing. Turns in, out it isn't a huge difference. In real time. But the, the Rubicon that has to be crossed is from knowing into urging together as a public to urging authorities to act. Which puts a, a different light about the whole question, question of whether the Allies knew or didn't know about uh, Auschwitz. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe looking at what's happening now with this flood of information, maybe it's uh, not really an issue. It, Even if they knew, they probably... Even if they knew, let's say... They, even if uh, there was Twitter and Facebook the back Brit then. The British intelligence, yes, the, the, as you know, now from good new films and books, etc., in Bletchley Park, they deciphered the German enigma. Right. And when the Germans in the middle of, uh, um, uh, in, in June, in the middle of 1941, invaded the Soviet Union, they were able to decipher and they knew. Right. They already knew. And the head of the British intelligence was asked after, after the war, okay, you knew why, and, and you were transmitting information to London. Why didn't you put this, let's say, on, on the top, uh, on the top of your uh, scale of importance, on the top of your priorities? But he said, yeah, but it wasn't on the top of uh, our priorities because it wasn't. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't. And if it did reach the political levels, not the intelligence and not the military, but the political levels, then, much as today, and this has not changed, your interests as a nation, as a government, come first. Right. Is yeah. it in it's your interest to act or not? The hmm? sad truth. You yeah. know, that's, that's how the world functions you don't you don't win wars by liberating victims you win mm -hmm. wars by conquering territory which is yeah the sad truth but i want to ask you about this report that came out okay um, please so wh how exactly do you measure anti-semitism yeah well th that's definitely a good question um and uh, you would have understood how good it is had you known that the dispute over how to identify and how to define anti-Semitic events, how long this uh, and hot this, and heated this debate is. You don't just go up to people and ask them, do you hate Jews? <laughs> no. no. And then, no, it doesn't work. No, it's not enough. Oh, okay. It's not enough. Um, there are surveys like this. <laughs> there are, but we are not speaking. Yeah. We're not speaking about <laughs> surveys. Um uh, for, we are working since 1992, uh, and since 1994, mm -hmm. when we handed our first uh, survey to Yitzhak Rabin Alava Shalom when he was a uh, prime minister, until today, every day before Holocaust Memorial Day, we issue a report. The report is based on what we see as anti-Semitic anti 
anti-Semitism, and we divided into violent and non-violent actions. Right. Okay? Many other communities or monitoring bodies, because you have monitoring communities, you have ministries of uh, interior, you have by police, you have monitoring. Uh, most of the others do combine violent with non-violent and give you... Uh, today, there is an ADL survey on what happens in the United States. And ADL is, is the Anti-Defamation Defamation League. Like. Uh, this, uh, yesterday morning, they had a, uh, a press conference and they released uh, the data for 2016, much as we did, but also went into a bit into 2017. In okay. the United States? Only. Uh -huh. In the United States only. And they gave a number of some 1,220-something cases, but these are violent and non-violent together. Right. Mm -hmm. We say here in, in Tel Aviv, we, um, for many years we are working on that. And what we say is that you should divide between violence and non-violence because Why? violence needs most, um, in mostly or in most cases, most often, Uh, it needs more organization or more preparation, at least, if you attack with a weapon, if you are even weaponless, weaponless, uh, a stick, a stone, etc. Also more conviction, Put, no? Mm? More conviction in the hatred. It, it could be. More yeah. conviction, yes, in what you're doing, mm -hmm. that you are right and you have a right to do such a thing. Th mm -hmm. This is what you mean. Um, setting on fire, arson. Uh, damaging damaging uh, property, vandalizing, desecrating. We also include v very brutal threats, not just calling someone and say, hey, when I see you, I'll kill you, but going up to someone and grabbing him and threatening him in, in his, to his face. That's considered a violent. Violent. Yeah. I would say this cons is considered violent. Mm -hmm. And we measure these... Uh, in a different way, then we do not measure, because it's immeasurable, the other types that are verbal and visual anti-Semitism. Verbal and visual means in the social nets, mm -hmm. where it is anonymous, where one case is inflated a hundred times in a minute and uh, disseminated uh, all over, Um, on the social nets, in uh, demonstrations, uh, on uh, TV series or expressions by people in insults, in harassing, in uh, in minor threats, etc. Graffiti, Graffi things like that. Yeah, we, yeah, you cannot measure this. Yeah. It's, you cannot measure. Not only because there are so many, and they have also increased, But because people do not report about them. Right. You will not see a graffiti and they then call the police. Mm -hmm. But if you're hit to your face, you do call the police. I think you, I heard you yesterday in the press conference saying that 75% is, is the estimate of cases of, of incidents that are not even being reported. So all this da data that you use in your research is only based on 25%. 
Not for the violent cases. Most of the for violent. For the non Most of the violent are being reported. Right. Persons who were hit, who were taken to hospital or whatever. Yes. This is recorded. Right. Most often. But the others, indeed, people do not... What would you call the police to say that uh, you were harassed or insulted or... Or graffiti or, uh, on your... Or graffiti or so no. this and that in the Facebook, no? But it makes life for the Jews uh, in exile or abroad uh, much... Uh, not less difficult than violent cases. More violent. I it, would say that... It terrorizes you, right? Exactly. And it insults you. Yes. Um, I, I would say that as though the violent cases went down in numbers, in the eyes of Jews and the feeling of Jews, it does not compensate right. for a bad atmosphere, for a feeling that um, a place you have been living here for hundreds of years, you are still considered a foreigner in. Right. Uh, and suddenly you are in one line with other minorities just coming in. Uh, and you are being harassed and your son is being insulted in school or spit on? Because you Definitely. found in the research that although um, violent incidents declined in 2016, non-violent incidents, the numbers rose, right? Yes, very much. By 16% or something. No, no, no. The non-violent? The non-violent. How no, much? By, we don't know how many. Uh-huh. We didn't measure, so we didn't give a number. Uh-huh. But uh, we you didn't measure how come it was just so you cannot measure it because the social nets are in ocean. So you don't measure the nonviolent, you only measure the violent? Yes, uh-huh. By numbers. By numbers. The other we look at and we try to think what is happening. But there are now, even though the, the social nets are in ocean, Mm-hmm. And you don't have the team to sit and look at all. So how do you uh, indicate? There are now new tools uh-huh. that have been developed, both by the World Jewish Congress, that have some uh, company that is called if, uh, I rem- Vigo, that's called Vigo, and also our uh, Ministry of the Diaspora also developed some tools mm-hmm. according to which you can identify anti-Semitism or hate speech on a, a lot, a lot, a lot of social media material mm-hmm. and come to some conclusions. For right. instance, the World Jewish On- Congress, a World Jewish Congress that is about to have another press conference. First we were on 23rd, then the ADL, now World Jewish Congress tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, sorry, this morning. This mm-hmm. morning, yesterday, the ADL and we, and they today. They say that according to the new tools that they have developed, there is a, one, an anti-Semitic message um, posted in, in any, in all media, social media nets put together in the world every 83 seconds. Right. Wow. I, I want to ask you, though, Professor Parad, because... Um, If I am abroad with uh, friends, non-Jewish friends, and a friend tells me a joke about Jews and money, mm-hmm. is that anti-Semitism? Yeah, it could be, but this is not how, a... How could you... You know what I'm asking? I'm, I'm not I'm sure, sure what is anti-Semitism anymore. Yeah. Um, and how to explain this to a friend abroad who says something maybe that is inappropriate. So I, I, it got this particular... Uh, thing happened to me and I try to explain why you don't make such jokes 
But I'm wondering with you now, I'm asking you, is that, do you, would you consider that anti-Semitism? I would definitely consider it um, what you would call latent anti-Semitism. Meaning? There is, there is anti-Semitism that is being expressed, whether in violence or in these, all these verbal and visual uh, means. But there are also feelings and thoughts and opinions that have accumulated along centuries and, and created a certain image of the Jew. And each period, each time in history, another trait or characteristic of this image is more, um, more looked at than others or more emphasized than others. Right. For instance, let's say in the uh, medieval ages, you would speak more about uh, the opposition to Christianity or uh, an alliance with the devil. Okay, 19th century, it was a more political one. Then it was a, a more economic one. Um, so each time you look at this image differently, but it remains negative. Right. And it is, it is instilled within people and doesn't express itself every day. But when there, there is an occasion, there is a joke, there is this, that. It is definitely anti-Semitic in the sense that it characterizes the Jews as they are not. It reflects opinions about a certain group of people right. as if collectively all of us have the same character traits, which is the basis for racism, for looking at groups of people so as having... The Jews aren't special when it comes to um, entrepreneurship, uh, when you look throughout the years. They mm. aren't special because, uh, for example, the whole Nobel Prize thing, when you look at the numbers, the percentage yes. of... So maybe, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm just... I've been wondering because of that whole joke incident. M maybe, or when you look at the film industry in Hollywood it was it was created by Jews that's what they taught me in film school mm -hmm. so sometimes even then truth and untruth mix you know what I'm asking yeah of course uh, but I, um, I I I know how I understand how you feel but I would say that what you're saying is that you understand that there is a negative image that has been accumulated along the years, etc. And that's the basis of many dirty, dirty or unpleasant jokes, etc. But you can look at the same group of people, that is the Jews, and seeing them in a positive, with a positive image and say, ah, not they were, not say that they had an alliance with the devil in the Middle Ages, but that they taught their children to read and write from the age of three and four when most of Europe was illiterate. And to survive and to thrive. And to survive mm -hmm. and to study languages and to, when you go from one, you are persecuted from one place to another, you study the language, you start again, you are in, you said entrepreneur, look at Israel and the high tech and the agriculture and the many inventions, etc. Yes. There is something, so uh, I, that but something of, positive. Yes. Okay. That kind of leads to the to the question of where does anti-Semitism originate from, and maybe this is a pretentious sort of outlook. But is it 
it, in a sense, it almost sounds like the Jew was always ahead of the game, mm-hmm. and then people always looked at the Jew onto the Jew with kind of jealousy or whatever it was you know they're teaching their kids to read they're uh, on they have these values of entrepreneurship and of you know these progressive values and they're they're succeeding and and they is that where it comes from i mean where does and maybe i'm i'm turning to you you know as like someone who has the answers to everything but maybe you don't but where do you think this comes from well <laughs> i certainly i wish i had the, the answers <laughs> for everything but Indeed, it, it is a multi-layers image uh-huh. that accumulated along centuries. And then when it was there already, let's say at the end, the Middle Ages, the, the end of the Middle Ages, the image was already there and it was easy to use. Okay? It, the, uh, this, the Jews as such were a, a symbol, mm-hmm. became a symbol of... That is useful, and you don't take a useful symbol and throw it aside and say, "Okay, today I'll pick on another group." Mm-hmm. It has become convenient because it existed along centuries, and because many traits were uh, attached to it, mm-hmm. uh, and because um, and many events that happened on history, the uh, Jews were blamed for, and you can explain. political anti-semitism for instance since the protocols of the elders of Zion you can explain the world by saying I'm not responsible I'm okay my leaders are okay my country is okay there is a force that works behind and this force is turning matters for the bed Jews were blamed for the French Revolution for the Bolshevik Revolution for the death of uh, Princess Diana for a tsunami in Thailand for 911 9/11. 9/11 there are a lot of Jews in Thailand though yeah <laughs> <I'm> just saying <laughs> no, there are Israelis But, on the beach yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> no it, it, it is surprising But when you have it useful yeah and it is useful you don't throw it away it yeah. con- it continues it's kind of like when you have it, it always reminded me of the way that social groups kind of get uh, uh, formulate when you have a group of people oh there's always you know when you study social interaction there's always certain roles that people play in a mm-hmm. social setting and they always someone fits into every role you know you have the clown you have the this you have the mm-hmm. scapegoat and I think I guess maybe it was just our luck of the draw to be you The scapegoat of the global social history interaction yeah I'll give you an example in 1904 a, a war is raging between the Czar between Russia and Japan mm-hmm. okay the Schiff family a rich Jewish family um, gives a loan to Japan some at that time it was an enormous enormous sound some some four or five million sterling. pounds the Japanese take it so provide their army with whatever it needs good mm-hmm. training good equipment and beat the the Russians very severely okay at more or less the same time the Russian Tsar gets the first copy of the protocols of the elders of Zion and he reads it and what It opened up his mind, his eyes. It all makes sense now. It all makes sense. A Jewish family gave this loan to the Japanese and they beat us. 
It's not that I am a bad uh, leader or a lousy commander or my generals do not know the business mm-hmm. and the, the army is full of cowards. There is a force in the world that works behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Okay? And there he gave an order to read the protocols of the elders of Zion in all the th- 365 churches existing at that time in Moscow so that everyone knows where do things come from. Hmm. But you know, Professor Perot, um, there's something that scares me when I look at such reports like your report, and that is there is the anti-Semitism that you can measure. Mm-hmm. But you will never be able to measure what people think, mm-hmm. especially where in countries like the States, where mm-hmm. Jews live in these bubbles um, of communities. Uh, with people who are so cultured, they will never say something anti-Semitic. But, but you can't know if they don't think it, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you do about this? The silent anti-Semitism and how, how can you know the latent, the latent how yeah. can you know how deep it goes? Um, you cannot know. You definitely cannot know. But I'd like to draw your attention to one more point we have not discussed. And yes. this is we should exercise proportion. Because okay. in the UK, for instance, this year, tens of thousands of cases of hate speech and hate crimes, not against Jews. Racist ones against newcomers, against what they call Pakis, people from Pakistan, people from India, from all the, the British Empire that now are going back to uh, it, uh, uh, coming to, to the, the UK to present themselves. Um, while there were a number of hundreds against the Jewish community, which is, of course, much less in numbers, that's for sure. Yeah. But we should take into consideration and exercise proportion to see that anti-Semitism is not the only feeling against a group that is on the field. Right. There was, a, there is an excellent um, company in Washington called Pew, P-E-W. Uh, and we rely on them because it's a private company that does surveys. It's not political. It's not an organization. It has no interest. It looks into the matter in, to the eye. They say, uh, their um, survey says, and they took il- uh, 11,000 questionnaires in 10 European countries last summer and came to the conclusion that gypsies, the Roma, and Muslims are hated by some 50% of those asked. And the Jews only by 16. Right. Because recently, mm-hmm. though we have spoken about this long time image, how rooted it is, how easily you can use it mm-hmm. politically, religiously, publicly, etc. Still, <clears throat> with the waves of newcomers, the focus of attention was diverted to them. Mm-hmm. You had this year in Germany, 3,000 cases of attacks, physical, violent, attacks on Muslims, Im- Muslim immigrants. Hmm. Last year, 2,000, and the year before, 1,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you had much less, even if, even proportionally to the number of Jews, you had much less against the Jews. Because the threat today, 
are not the Jews. The yeah. threat is perhaps the refugees. And also Jews flee from Europe, for, from Jews some countries. Jews flee from Europe. So this also helps to decrease the numbers. Uh, yes. Because if and Jews leave France, then there are no Jews to, to attack. <laughs> so it's easier. And moreover, Jews do not leave their homes to go to the public space um, with a kippah and yes. Magen David as they used mm-hmm. before. Right. Mm-hmm. Some do, absolutely. But many don't. Okay, also there are better measures of security today. There are tens of thousands of soldiers roaming around. Only in France you have 800 place, Jewish sites that are being protected 24-7. Right. Uh, in the UK, a huge sum of some 13 million pounds for a number of years was allocated by the government for security of, of Jews. Uh, so there is better security, better intelligence, less people with Jewish signs on the streets, more focus on others. And therefore, violence went down. Right. Okay? The atmosphere remained, but please remember that it is part of a general growing atmosphere against foreigners yeah. in mm-hmm. the United States, as we see it now, and in Europe. You know, there's a lot of people say, I've heard said, And maybe this is an exaggeration that um, the Muslim community in Europe will get to know the real Europeans. And I think it's, a, it's quite a cynical statement, but the idea is that, is that what? The, the, the Muslim community in Europe yes. will get to know the real Europeans. Meaning, meaning what? Meaning they will suffer what, what we suffered, ah. what the Jewish community suffered 70 years ago. I think it's very cynical, but I, I wonder if you could see, if you see something like the Holocaust happening onto another people. In- The in Muslim Germany, people. for example, not may, maybe not Holocaust, but maybe deportation, for example, mass deportation in a state like Germany or if, France or France or Hungary. Mm-hmm. France, there are promises for mass deportation. Yeah. Uh, Hungary, Hungary does not allow them in. Yeah, but now they want to depart those who are in. Yeah, they, they have few. Yeah. They, they do not have the, that many. Um... Uh, I'm definitely, uh, perhaps I'm just hope, it's a matter more of hope. Yeah. But I, I don't think that a uh, mass killing would happen again, would happen again. But life, you can make life of a group miserable yeah. be much before you kill them. It, but it, I mean, I have the same feeling as you. Yeah. But it always, then it always strikes me the thought that, you know, I imagine people thought like that in 1935. You know, oh, come on. You can't put six million people in camps and exterminate mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Who does that? No, no one thought about it yet. Now you know. The difference between us today, living in 2017, and the people in 1935, as you said, is that we know, and uh-huh. they didn't know. Right. We know that such a thing can happen. This is why we look for the signs. Yeah. This is why we own our toes. This is why we measure anti-Semitism. But then there's the unknown unknown. And we don't know, as said, as said in the Errol Morris uh, documentary. And then, and, uh, and so we don't know what, what can happen. Uh, I mean, I, I see a, a scene where, where uh, there is a mass rebellion of the Muslim immigrants for socioeconomic reasons. 
that needs to be repressed by an army or by the police in a violent way, and that could lead to cl to, to be huge clashes. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm much less but you're, you're optimistic. You're a filmmaker. Yeah, that I sounds am like a, a great <laughs> movie. I am a filmmaker. <laughs> Um, but let's talk a little bit about the states because we've seen uh, mm -hmm. uh, cemeteries being uh, violated and vandalized and some scenes and th the discussion uh, of anti-Semitism rose uh, since Trump got elected. So how do you see, how do you see that? Well, I'm, you are broadcasting this in the United States. Yes. Okay, uh, so I'm not sure people, Jewish people would like what I'm going to say, but I'll still say that. Please do. During the times of President Obama, who was in office for eight years, there were desecrations of cemeteries. There were anti-Semitic cases. There were some 7,000, I would say, all in all along his eight years, but it wasn't brought to the surface in such a met in such a way. There were desecrations of cemeteries, sometimes nine cases a year. Uh -huh. Okay, but it wasn't it wasn't brought up. It wasn't. It did not get such a focus. It's well, the unfair. Why? It's the unfair media. It's the unfair media, as Trump says that that the media is unfair to him. Why do you think it is? <laughs> Because. I what I what I can see what we can see it's not only we look today the ADL as we said released its report look at a, a company or a channel called Vox a, mm -hmm. a VOX and what do they say what do they say that during Obama the Obama years in yeah. office there were such cases they were not brought because you were out to support President Obama. And today these are much more in focus because you are saying, or because there is an, an atmosphere of saying the Trump that brought. the way Trump President Trump now spoke during his election campaign opened the door for feelings of bigotry, of looking with hate, uh, hatefully at other minorities and at other Uh, sections in American in American society, uh, Jews included, and groups who th were on the same thought. It's not that w if Vox are saying or we are saying or anyone is saying that President Trump is an anti-Semite. No, but that a door can be opened at certain circumstances for groups, supremacists, as uh, those who who were more silent during former years mm -hmm. and now they are back on the stage back on stage perhaps mm, pushed more uh, and focused Provoked, more promoted, yeah. by media okay and it is definitely also political it was political during obama and political yeah. now but you're saying that that isn't the 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 situation necessarily that it isn't there the, there isn't a rise necessarily right now as opposed to the obama years that i mean there have the been the ideal says that there is a rise i see we didn't see a rise in 2016 mm -hmm. uh, we didn't see a rise, but we did see a rise already in 2015 compared to 2014, much before the election started, mainly on campuses on the U.S. And we did point out a figure 
or 45% rise of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's anti-Zionism, disguised as anti-Zionism, mm-hmm. but it is definitely... Disguised as anti-Semitism. Ex- expressed in anti-Semitic mm-hmm. tones and motives. So let's, let's actually and stay on, on that topic for a second, because what is so exactly the difference? Or how between, would you... How would you distinguish between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, or would you say as, uh, uh, actually that they are the same thing? No, they are not totally the same thing. Okay. Anti-Zionism uh, could definitely be an expression of opinions against uh, our national movement, or against, uh, against uh, Zionist aspirations, against the State of Israel, critic, etc. But isn't okay. that inherently in some way anti-Semitic, or is it not? When it says... When it criticizes the state of Israel in a certain case, in a certain time, and say, I don't agree, and I think that was abusive, mm-hmm. and you should not have done this and that, and you should not have entered to Gaza at this and that time, uh, this is fair criticism. Most of the citizens in Israel voice the same, mm-hmm. the same no, uh, critique with a lot of energy. I'll give you an example that would clarify the matter. And I'm following you the footsteps of the great orientalist Bernard Lewis, who just turned 100 years old. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mazal tov to him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He has an excellent book called Semites and Antisemites. Mm-hmm. And he said it, that when is it criticism? When you refer to a certain case in a certain time, in a certain place, and you say this and that, pinpointed, I don't like it. Let's take the Marmara case, okay? The Marmara flotilla. Yeah, which is a boat the Turks sent with aid to Gaza, and we uh, attacked and and we they sent it to Gaza, full of weapons. Yeah, against our against the blockade. This is our natural, n- our waters, and uh, they broke yeah. the Israeli blockade on Gaza, and then Israel. Uh, entered the boat to stop them from entering the blockade. And they attacked the soldiers. And they attacked the soldiers. And they were all yeah. equipped with arms, yeah. Right. And also I would like to tell you a secret that is known to everyone. There isn't really a blockade on Gaza. Every day, every day, mm-hmm. hundreds of trucks yeah. come from Israel yeah. to yeah. Gaza. My, Let's my, not get into politics, guys. Come okay? on. Okay. okay. No, but the word blockade means that it's really close. Ta, ta, ta. But coming indeed back to our point, if you say that it was not a good idea, and you criticize it, and it was a mistake uh, to go on the Marmara with the uh, soldiers and do this and that. I agree with you fully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is fair critique, and I think even justified critique. But if you say, as was said in some of the Turkish newspaper later, that the Israeli murderous soldiers who are vengeful, Mm-hmm. And were taught, uh, were educated on, on the Bible, mm-hmm. in which a vengeful God uh, is acting and telling them what to do. And they came with an intention to kill and blah, blah, blah. This is definitely anti-Semitism. Yeah. Because as we said before, you take character traits and you attribute them to a group. Yeah. Okay? 
To me, that's anti-Semitism. But to me, to go back to the distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, to me, to critique Israel isn't anti-Zionist. Mm -hmm. I mean, I criticize Israel, and I think there are definitely uh, things that can be improved here, and the government makes mistakes. Yeah. And you know, you can even say the prime minister is a corrupt, uh, you know, a criminal, mm. and that's criticism, and that's fine by me. The tone but, is, but the idea that I think anti-Zionism is something is saying that I am against the aspirations of of Jews for a state of their own. And once you say in, entirely that Jews do not deserve a state, anti-Zionism is, anti is to say that the Jew does not deserve a state, does not uh, warrant a, a homeland. And to me, that seems like that there is a correlation between Definitely. that and anti-Semitism. Absolutely. Because, first of all, because this is discrimination. Uh, there is a, a, um, an internationally accepted a working definition of anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. which it's uh, just one page, which was now by, uh, which was adopted now by a major body in which uh, 31 countries are members. It, um, Theresa May, Mrs. Theresa May, Prime Minister of the UK adopted it, and it is going on and catching momentum. In this, um, in this, a, uh, uh, um, working definition. There are five points that say when anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. It says it outright. Mm -hmm. I have it here. Can I? Uh... If you'd like. Sure. Yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah okay. Yeah. I buy it. We can cut. Uh, you could cut. Okay. No, we, we actually can't. But you can, you can. Oh, we can't cut. Yeah, we can't yeah. cut. Because okay. <laughs> but this is really an eye opener because it says what you said, denying the Jewish people the right of self-determination, uh, okay, this is one. Applying double standards by requiring uh, of each a behavior, the state of Israel, not expected or demanded by any other democratic nation. Using the symbols and the images associated with classic anti-Semitism, okay, drawing comparisons of contemporary Israeli policy to that of the Nazis, holding Jews collectively responsible for actions of the state of Israel. Right. When careful, you, careful. when you, uh, when you criticize only Israel mm -hmm. for violating human rights, etc., but you say not one word about Syria, mm -hmm. you say not one word about China and Tibet, mm -hmm. you put today, today, Saudi Arabia was elected to the Women's Rights <laughs> United Nations Council. Does that sound uh, lo logical to you? Okay. And previously it was Iran yeah, right. on the same com commission. I can't. Which so one's if, worse? If you <laughs> single out Israel, yeah. this is discrimination. And yeah. this discrimination is anti-Semitic. Uh, before uh, we go, Professor Parat, I just want to just want to touch the the, the matter you researched because it's so important, and that is what happened here in in Israel, which was then Palestine during the Holocaust. Okay. And I want to ask you, uh, it's a very general and to the point question: Where the people here, the Jewish people here, Ben Gurion, were they aware of what's going on? Could they have uh, done stuff differently? Could they help and do better things to maybe change and prevent the disaster? Because you researched it, you ha you wrote a book about it. Many. Ma I wrote more than a number, one. a number. Yes. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's one of the most fascinating and tough subjects that you yes. picked. 
you're right, it is still sensitive until today. It's still painful. Because life here was it, good. Because uh, Do, life here was good, relatively good n- during the Holocaust, relatively to Europe, to what's going not on in Europe. Not the first years. No, the first years, the second part of the okay. war, yes, but nothing comparable to what happened mm-hmm. in Europe. That's of course. But it's still a painful question because it is questioning the ability of Zionism to come to rescue when, when disaster is there. Uh, and, uh, but I would say in summit in short, uh, um, according to the following points. One, the Jews here did know the Hebrew community in then Palestine that numbered less than half a million at that time knew more or less when what was happening at the beginning of the year, the ghettoization, etc. Later, as we spoke about knowing what is going behind enemy lines, the, the information came later after the fact, but they, it came and then the end of 1942, they knew you could... The leadership? The leadership? No, the whole country. The whole country knew. The leadership issued a statement to the country saying we know that there is a systematic killing. Right. And the word systematic is the crucial one. B. How many Jews were murdered by then? By then, like three million, three, more than three. Okay. Okay, more than three. A point B. The half a million living here came mostly during, ni- from 19, uh, 1933, the Nazis took power, to 1938, People cared and were worried and terrified because they left their uh, the families. Point three: Half a million cannot rescue nine million. Not only ni- half a million cannot rescue nine million. This half a million did not have an army, did not have a navy, did not have an air force. They were under the British mandate. They were physically and geographically cut off from Europe. But they have p- had political power uh, of no. a sort, connections in the United no. States, nothing. No. This Journalism. The New York Times was a Jewish newspaper. Was the newspaper oh, don't speak to owned, me about the New York Times. Please. Owned by, by Jews, etc. So what? Did, did, did they mention a few days ago that Barghouti is a committed murderer? No. No, they, they did just not. just published... Please, don't speak okay. to me about the New York Times. I, re- I withdraw the New yeah, York Times. Yeah, please, please <laughs> withdraw. And sometimes also, please withdraw the BBC. Okay. <laughs> We did not have political power. You are judging now by the power that the American jury has today. Okay? But then we did not have political power. We had access to President Roosevelt by Rabbi Wise, etc. But he had to be very careful not to blame, not to irritate him in order to get something uh, out of him. The Yishuv here did not have any military power that was really, uh, um, it, that could be really put in use. 
The Germans were determined to kill every Jew until the last one. The Allies had a world war on their hands, okay? And Jews were not the first priority, as the British intelligence said. Not the first priority, not even the citizens. Jews from Poland, Hungary, Romania were not citizens of the UK, Britain, etc. Yeah. That you are responsible for. It was a humanitarian matter. What humanitarian matter? All over the globe, some 55-60 million were killed, as we said. So why should, as the Allies saw it, why should we take care of the Jews, punct, and not, and not others? Mm-hmm. So, all in all, the, the Jews here knew, cared, but were powerless to act. The Shuv and the Jewish people in general did not have one uniting organization at the time or one uniting ideology at the time. Zionism, that is so being blamed, was 10% of the Jewish people on the eve of the war. Just 10%. So in retrospect, there is nothing you as a researcher can look at and say they could have done this better. They could have done more. They could have perhaps sent more parcels. They could have um, enlisted more, um, moves, more money among them, though it was a very modest, very modest uh, uh, community with modest means. They perhaps could have done more, but on a very low scale. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter. No. Okay, we got to wrap things up. Uh, Professor Porat, thank yeah. you so much. Let's thank meet you. again thank next you. year. Uh, <laughs> we invite you okay. and good luck. Hopefully thank you. the number of anti-Semitic uh, incidents will go down. It will go down. Thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye.